0: Washed Up Emo sponsors, New Belgium Brewing, are celebrating their 30th anniversary as company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com.
1: Uh, My name is Tom Mullen, and with me as always is Mr. Ray Harkins. Um, We have a special guest today, um, a writer and music industry friend of mine, uh, Trevor Kelly. Um, He is on the podcast uh, today. He has written for magazines, Alternative Press, Enemy, Punk Planet, and Spin, among others. Um, And you may know him uh, along with Leslie Simon. They wrote a definitive book on emo entitled Everybody Hurts, An Essential Guide to Emo Culture. And currently the only person to get every single one of my obscure emo references. Um, so, uh, <laughs> Trevor, thank you so much for being on the podcast.
2: Yeah, no sweat.
1: Um, I just think, you know, let's do a quick little background for, you know, everybody. You grew up in California. Um, That's true. Uh, what was sort of the show or the, the, the path to emo um, uh-huh. in two minutes or less that kind of got you... Ooh. I mean, from right. the, the, was it the show? Right. Was it? A, I mean, I know you did a zine. What was sort of the? I first? did do a
2: zine. Uh, well, let me think about this. So, when I was a kid, I grew up in Simi Valley, California, which is uh, west of Los Angeles, northwest Los Angeles. It's um,
3: also it's also the porn capital of the world, correct?
2: Po- porn is that what you said?
3: Yeah, that's what I said.
2: No, <laughs> I didn't uh, stutter. It's absolutely uh, it's not, but it is near that. Uh, I think you're thinking of like Van Nuys or somewhere in the San Fernando Valley is where most points, but it's not far from there. So um, I grew up there and it's sort of, you know, I guess I started going to shows in 1992. And at that point, the kind of two scenes that were going on that a uh, volley between, I guess, was sort of like the New Age record scene that was going on. And a lot of those shows happened in Huntington Beach. Um had a bunch of that I can't remember the names of probably like the, the Ice House I feel like there's one of them or something like that in Fullerton but the, you know like anything Mike Hartsfield related would end up somewhere out there and so okay. I would do shows like that and see Foundation or Mean Season and a bunch of bands like that and then in on the other side like west of the, of Simi Valley there was the Colita Santa Barbara like kind of hardcore scene that like Karen Clark was the, the demigod of um and it was you know, both of those were so like they, they were just such perfect hardcore scenes, in that like
0: a label totally
2: defined it and like one do totally defined it and like had a visual aesthetic and like if you liked one thing it was super easy to like the next thing. Um so I guess it was it had to be somewhere in there. Um because like you know, I would see bands like endpoint, um you know when I would go see hardcore shows, or I'd see bands like Still Life. When I go to some of the like the like living room Galita shows, so you know I, I guess it was like somewhere in nineteen ninety two that you know that stuff started like kind of coming across my my teenage mind and and blowing it. I guess.
1: Did you kind of go to indie first, or was it hardcore? plus no, hardcore right no, into indie? Yeah,
2: yeah. It was it was like you know like I listened to like um, metal. <laughs>
1: That, I mean, Overhead. I started the same way. Yeah, it was like you yeah. saw Headbangers Ball or you saw the whatever metal bands. Yeah, it definitely started there.
2: Yeah, and, and like in 1982, obviously, it was where the point where like it wasn't weird where you're like, I love Megadeth and Fugazi or Nirvana or what, you know, or like and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Like it was like this weird convergence of music and time where that that kind of made sense. I, I, I would say before I started going to those shows, I was totally a confused mishmash of all that kind of stuff. Like, I loved Bloodshare, <laughs> Sex, Magic. This is weird because I, I do not like Carodot Peppers at all. At, at all. I got That's grounded I got that. for that record. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how that, like, snuck past my my first per- me, per- period. Just how I, at some point, was cool with that. But, anyways, <laughs> th- that, that, uh, there was, like, this this whole, like, weird amalgamation of stuff going on and so i I was super into metal but then i think you know being able to like see a band like nirvana where i like the heaviness of it but the melody of it and certainly like the angst of it made it easy to go listen to like uh, you know a hardcore band like drift again or something like that where it was like oh right they're like they're angsty and it's heavy tunes like it was it was a kind of natural segue i guess you, but no, I wasn't into like Indie. Yeah, I definitely. I mean, that would have been a good time to be like, yeah, dude, I totally love Dinosaur Jr., but I didn't. So. You, you, it wasn't you hit until on, much later in my life.
3: You hit on something, uh, Trevor, that I think is is cool, and a lot of people don't realize what a powerful scene the Santa Barbara scene And like, you mentioned Galita, like, you know, most people don't even know what yeah. that is. Uh, right,
2: right. And it's, it's only the people who do know, know. That. Life oh, totally!
3: Either,
2: yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. And it, it, I, I think it was, I think it's cool where y- you did have a juxtaposition because I myself was also, you know, going to shows in Southern California, and I dated a girl that went to UCSB, so I, I would go to shows like the Pickle Patch and stuff, and so yeah. you had these two vastly different things where it was like in Orange County and in LA, you had you know somewhat legitimate venues like you know Showcase Theater and um, right. you know before chain reaction was called chain reaction, public story, whatever. So you had these like legitimate venues and then you had Santa Barbara where it was like they had, you know, they had the living room, but that place changed every like two years. And it was just like, it was the total like DIY scene. So it was like, it's cool that you had that same experience as well.
2: Right. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I'm sure it's still happening, you know, somewhere. I'm sure it's, it's like someone who's still like, you know, throwing a show in a, a living room in, you know, IV somewhere, and and it's probably like I'm a lot of hardcore band, and I'm, I'm certain that the same thing's happening with, you know, in, in the Orange County where there's, you know, some sort
3: of, you yeah. more more I like a right. <laughs> I, <always laughs> I always found it interesting too, and I'm sure Tom has had similar experiences where, um, a lot of the bands, like it wasn't out of the realm of possibilities to have a band that you know sounded like you know Mineral, Christy Front Drive, that type of stuff, play with like a literal hardcore band. Like you know, you'd see. Right. I mean, this yeah. is extreme, but like you know, you could see like Ten Yard Fight play with Mineral, even though that's like I said, extreme. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. In, only in certain places would that kind of work, where people would be that accepting to be like, yeah, I, I like both genres.
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, I saw, like, um, I remember uh, Promising played Pickle Patch um, in, gosh, maybe like 96 or '7 or something. Probably 96, I think it was. They played there, and then the next night they played the Huntington Beach Library. And at the Huntington Beach Library, if I remember correctly, they played with the Man as a Bastard and the, the Locust, I think. <laughs> or, or something along those lines where just like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, this is crazy. Um, but yeah, like, that that it seemed normal, I guess. I mean, even I was actually,
1: it, I was just looking at um, the Texas The Reason tour dates, and I saw some oh, shows. God. I mean, they did a show <laughs> with Madball. And yeah. you look at it then, like I was reading through their entire shows and just looking at them. It was normal to do that. Yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think they, I want to say they play
1: with donuts. Oh, <laughs> like God. Crazy like that. Oh. I like think, hey, Ray, movies. I think we have a rule. We can't bring up donuts ever again. <laughs> that fucking dance sucks. Dude, this is, this... <laughs> Se- sec-
2: <Yeah. laughs> that's an odd show, though. I mean, that's crazy Second stuff. time
3: in like four episodes. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Trevor.
2: Really,
1: this
3: happens a lot. Yeah, donuts got. Brought
1: and, it's up. Funny, yeah. and it's
3: funny, that, <laughs> and it's funny because, and I think it's, uh, I think it's funny too, because obviously now you look at the tour packages that get sent out, and diversity is completely frowned upon. Where it's like, or or, or if it if it isn't frowned upon, where it's like, uh, you know, the headlining band is like, I don't care, we'll draw whoever we're going to draw, and these kids will be forced to watch these bands. We just want to take bands we like on tour the kids that watch the opening bands go, this is the worst shit I've ever heard. What is this? This is terrible. And so right. it's just, it's just funny to have that.
2: Yeah. I'm sure there's, there's some, you know, like yeah. th- there's got, there's gotta be some tours that are so, I mean, you know, I was talking to somebody last night about, um I remember seeing Curse of Mastodon against me on the same bill and being like, awesome. <laughs> like that was a full US tour. <laughs> like, yeah. okay. Well, what's, I mean, I'm sure it happens,
1: but it's, yeah. Well, I think it's interesting that, you know, with, you know, radio and shows, it's like radio, this is only this one genre that you must listen to, or with tours, you're going to go to this metal core shit tour, but I think a kid likes all that, that's why they listen to Spotify or listen to Pandora, because of that. Yeah. Because right. they they like different things in, uh... Um, yeah, you would think that they would want to keep doing that, but they're too scared, I guess, or not at that time. But
2: right, I guess we right. got to
1: get Donuts back to do this.
2: Yeah, that's the, that's the side of mine. You need to live in a world fun. where Donuts exist again, yeah. and then you'll have more eclectic shit. <laughs> <laughs> I
3: I think I think we I think it's indicative that we need to absolutely find a member of Donuts
1: to interview for this podcast. Oh, no, without without a doubt. I will learn yes. Swedish, or whatever I need to learn. <laughs>
2: Funny. I, I mean, I definitely haven't thought of donuts
1: in a really long time. Welcome to the <laughs> up emo podcast. That is that's, <laughs> yeah, that is what I do for my entire life.
2: Where, 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 yeah, where, where you go to think of things you haven't thought of in a long time.
1: Right? Well, um, we, we, we like to refer to it as
3: unearthing uh, hidden gems.
2: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I guarantee you I will not be here. Looking them up on Spotify, right? <laughs> such things tonight. Um, I will
1: forget about them for another ten years. <laughs> um, I guess what what was the sort of the band that you think, or what was the? I mean, for me, the first emo band for me that someone told me about was Get Up Kids, and then Promise Ring, and then I sort of researched back right. and forward. What was the, what was the one for you? Was it while you were in college? Was it while you were doing the zine? And where did you kind right. of branch off from that? And you could, you know, sort of dive into it.
2: Right. Uh, well, good question. I, it's weird because I, I certainly, I mean, one of the first like punk bands I got into um, was Fugazi, and then from there I got into Embrace and like any other kind of stuff that wasn't just Minor Threat. So I, I, I was aware of like the proto emo bands, but I just don't think I thought of them in that way at the time. Like I, I definitely didn't think of. Um, Fugazi, thirteen songs was that when the first time I heard it. You know, I just thought of them as a punk band. um, Or even like stuff like Statue, where I was like,
0: clearly it
2: wasn't quite hardcore, but and it was sort of more progressive in in its lyricism and sentiments, I guess. Um, But I didn't think of it as that. I don't think it was probably until like like my my sophomore or or junior year of high school where i i started thinking of bands in that light and it was it was mostly like jawbreaker like i bought the, the busy set of Minch and i remember thinking like what is this and then i bought like sore by family i think and like being like this is not this is not like oh it's not like hardcore but it is sort of but then it's you know and so it's kind of like figuring out it was a different thing but i don't think anyone called it emo. I mean, I think I thought way more of the, the stuff like the, the evolution stuff as emo. Like, I definitely thought of still life as an emo band. Um, so it wasn't like, the you know, but like, kind of like, you know, it wasn't like the the, the first wave, and it wasn't like the, the typical second wave stuff. I guess it was more like, it was like Jawbreaker and still Still life and that kind of stuff. I, I started thinking of it as that. Um, and it was really quick. Like, you know, like I, I I got super into JobWriter and, and and within, I would say like months even, it was like, I would read an interview with them or, or I think it was through a J-Trick interview that I first found out about the scene and I was like, oh wow, this sounds like stuff I like, but really, really good. Like really, the the songwriting I thought was really tight and then, you know, someone gave me a copy of Spiderland by Flint and I was like, you know, my mind was blown. It felt like these, So it had these elements of what I was listening to, um, but was just like nothing else I'd ever heard. And so I would say it was during high school. Like it wouldn't be odd that I would go, you know, like buy a flying saucer attack record and then also buy, you know, um, LP2 by somebody at real estate or something like that. So it was was sort of in in high school for me that I kind of, you know, found Emo and then kind of listened to indie Rock Stuff too, and I—it's really like that's been pretty much the last twenty years, or how old am I now? Twenty, fifteen years of my life, really has been um, kind of just listening to this genres of music obsessively, and other stuff entering in at different points as well. But um, yeah, that, that's essentially, I guess, when it was.
1: I mean, from did that kind of lead into the in into the zine that you did? I I, for, I forget the but name. Oh yeah.
2: Yeah, it was called Stop Breathing
1: yep.
2: um, which which was a pavement song. But the, the, the it was so that's a great example of me saying like, Oh, these were these two worlds that I really like adored, you know, like the name of the scene came from the pavement song, the guitar player from The Promise Ring designed it, um and they and the Promise Ring sold it on tour. And, you know, like Sunday Day Real Estate was on the cover or or you know, and like um some of the other people then on one issue super drunk was on the cover so it was kind of like it kind of did both you know like um which i which didn't seem that weird um to be honest like i think by the you know because maybe the age i was at by the end of the like 90s i think it was super you know like the first promising record has a reference to a red house painters song in it you know so it's like like, there was that, it totally made sense. Like, those guys felt like peers to me because it was, like, I would go sit with them and talk about, like, OK Computer, and it was, like, this mind-blowing experience or whatever. But at the same time, I could talk to them about to Start Today. Mm-hmm. So, it was like, you know, like, it, it seemed like by the end of the 90s, it was totally normal, you know? Like, a band like Jets Brazil totally, like, exemplifies that to me, you know, was like... You have guys that were in re- Resurrection in that band, you know, <laughs>
1: and like yeah, and like
2: handsome, but yet yeah, like you know, by the time they put out their second record, it sounded like Wilco.
1: Well, so. it, it was almost like they got older before us, and we were younger. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. like they kind of went mm-hmm. through their harder phase, and then they did it, and now we're sort of in that loop. <laughs> I feel like
2: right, 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 yeah. I mean, for me personally, a lot of it was like this perfect storm of seeing bands like that or, um, you know, death cab, even like those first two death cab records, like in page or the lion, you know, it was like a lot of guys who I felt like, I mean, maybe less so with death cab. Um, but you know, that I could talk to about growing up listening to hardcore, but that I could talk to him about like a talk, talk record too, if I wanted to or whatever. And so it was like, it was kind of this perfect storm for me. Um, personally, you know, when when that sort of second wave emo band, especially the j ones, ones, um, kind of became, you know, sort of omnipresent, like, that, that stuff was super influential on me. And, and, like, it's weird because, you know, obviously, like, I was kind of like my own cottage industry in my house, like, creating a fanzine, selling it, booking all the ads, you know, like, paying Jason and Josh to design it, and all these, like, different things that I was doing, um, and so, you you know, I, at that point, I was, like, 20 or something like that, or 19 when I was, like, publishing my theme regularly. Um, and you have to look to someone as, like, sort of, like, you know, not necessarily an inspiration, but as a blueprint, you know? And, like, for me, it was, like, those guys were so cool to me, those Jade Tree guys, and you know, like, were always very supportive and helpful. And that, for me, I think that what was important about that time was, I mean, the music is super important, but for me personally, um, it was like, you know, that someone who was a few years older than me had a lot more experience than me would, it totally was <laughs> not, not questionable for them to be like, oh, yeah, here's, you should go talk to this person. This is how you put together your own little business out of your bedroom, you know? Like, I, I don't know if that, it, it, even as, you know, it becomes easier to do that completely um, on your own now, I you know, I don't know if... Total stranger would help a total stranger
1: as much as some people did back then. I guess.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I would I, hope they. I hope they would. Yeah, I just don't know.
1: I read the actually the little um, history that you did for J Tree that was on their site. Um, right. And I mean, it's 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 so it's it's cheesy to say that now. It's it's heartfelt. It's uh, you could totally tell yeah. that that you know that label and there's so many records from that label that you know, were so influential and, and bands and from that era. And it just, for those guys to totally do that, like some random person, um, mm-hmm. asking for help and they did it. And I don't, it, it, I don't know if it's just from the, the hardcore mentality of kind of helping each other out or the scene, but, um, right. they kind of came, you know, from that, that world too.
2: Yeah. And I don't know. It's it, like, it certainly had an effect on me, me to this day where, um, you know, I think every idea is worth listening to and, every, you know, every sort of, un- like, I, you know, this is, has uh, curbed itself in the past few years since I've moved away from, like, writing. But there was a point, you know, where I'd have, like, college kids just send me emails. And, you know, at that point in my life, I was in my late 20s, and I'd, they would be like, how do I become a writer, or whatever, you know? Yeah. And I would literally be like, here's my phone number, you know, like, if you want to talk about it, because I had someone else do that to me,
0: essentially, so yeah. like it was it was uh,
2: you know very it made it left an indelible mark on me.
1: I guess. Yeah, that's say. awesome. It's fine. I had the same conversation with somebody today about that. Um, that I, someone was helping me today, and he said the same thing. So <laughs> that that's really yeah. cool to hear. When cool. when you, you kind of dived into you know writing, you know, um, and you know the spin enemy, AP yeah, Punk yeah. Planet. What I mean. Was yeah. it, was it, did you feel pressure when you were reviewing or doing these things where you were probably friends with a lot of these bands and, um, yeah, what, what was sort of the, you know, how did you right. s- figure that out? Cause how did
2: I, yeah. Um, hmm. I, I didn't, I certainly, hmm. like, I don't know if it entered my mind that I, I, at least when I was trying to write it, I didn't think about who would read it, you know? Like, the only person I was trying to write for and sort of entertain was myself. So I never thought, like, if I write this, you know, like, gnarly Cobra Starship record review or something like that, right? Like, am I going to have to deal with the repercussions of this? Because I thought, like, then that... that, Like, I wouldn't be doing my job if I did that, you know? So, like, that stuff, it didn't enter my mind as much. Certainly you know, back then you'd submitted a review, you'd have to wait two months for it to come out, you'd keep on the stands, you'd have know, some time to think about it. Once it became a reality and it was something tangible that I could hold in my hands, perhaps then the thought occurred to me like, oh yeah, this is probably not going to go over well or whatever, you know, like someone might get bummed on this or I'm going to have to answer to this or whatever. Um, so, it, but it wasn't while it was occurring. Um, and it, you know, I think it's a, at the end of the day, like, if I didn't, you know, if I didn't stay true to, like, either trying to find the story that I thought was worth telling or trying to assert my opinion um, in the most entertaining way I thought possible, uh, in that era specifically, it would have, that would have been um, counterintuitive to that job. So Did you it, it
1: feel didn't, it? You didn't really enter it did you feel like a, i mean i like i said i when i was i think we were talking some of this i mean i think we were born pretty like too close to each other and you know same time in high school college, i i felt late yeah. late high school i felt it sort of popping and then when i got to college i just felt that there was this moment or this movement that I was talking about that no one was paying attention to. And they were still sort of mm-hmm. stuck in Limp Biscuit world and all those right. things. And, and it was like, I was kind of screaming from the rooftops, like these songs are poppy and catchy. Why is no one listening? And then, world. you know, certain people copied it and, you know, the uh, iterations of the, the the bands move on. But did you, when you yeah. were writing, and if it's, you know, AP and those places, like, were you, Yep. having to kind of raise your hand sometimes and be like, hey guys, hold up. this band's gonna be kind of <laughs> huge.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I, I think Leslie Simon was really good at that. Um, I, I I wasn't like the forecaster as much, you know, like I, there were certain times where I you know I pointed at like a say anything or a um, panic at the disco and I was like, this is definitely gonna happen And then I, I you know was correct, but I think you know, there's just as many other times where I was maybe not. So like, I don't think I was that, um, that wasn't necessarily my role as much. Um, but I will say that, um, I do know what you're talking about. Like, I remember feeling like the first time I heard clarity that that was going to be nevermind, you know, like yeah. I remember thinking like I got the super, the as it might have been at the time, um, of it or, or CD um, and I remember getting the advance and listening to it, and being like, "Wow, this is done." Like, you know, like the, Promise Ring is definitely not selling my Zine on tour anymore. <laughs>
0: like, yeah, right. Like,
2: <laughs> they're gonna put out Very Emergency, and uh, it's gonna be huge. And they're gonna go sign to MCA or you know, Capital or wherever I thought they were gonna sign at the time. And they're gonna be huge. And then then that, that something to write home about came out too. And I, I remember in that period, I was like, really well, I was expecting all the Albums would be pretty big. Um, Clary clearly was not. Um, other than the point of, of Lucky Denverment and the promising record was not. And you know, down the line, I mean, something to write home about certainly was, and that kind of started the, the, the entrance into the mainstream for a lot of the fans that kind of came from that world. But yeah, I, I did feel like you know, in that sort of like late era for the second wave, that it was going to become huge, and it didn't. And I remember when it's just, things started to get huge, I can point to like, probably three or four times where I was like, well, it doesn't. it's not going to get bigger than that. Well,
1: like, that's, that's the possible. thing I was thinking. Right. Like, Weezer with Get Up Kids Tour, Roseland, yeah, like, sure. buses yeah. and fucking, like, crew yeah. members everywhere. And I go, holy right. shit. Right, I remember right, saying right. that at the show. <laughs> yeah.
2: And then a year later, it's like Dashboard is doing Unplugged. You know? And I remember when that happened, I was like, and he was on Spin, like the cover of Spin twice in a year. And I was like, well, well that's clearly, that's it.
0: Yeah, you right. Know, like, yeah. It's not going to
2: get bigger. And, you know, like, I think the last time I was like, there's no way it could get bigger than this, uh, was when um, I saw Fall Out Boy at Bamboozo uh, 2006, I think. And I was standing on stage and just looking out and it was the entire parking lot. And it was, you know, 40,000 people or 35 or something like that. And I was just like, No that's as big as this scene gets and maybe in some ways that was it maybe that was sort of like the peak of the mountain to some degree which is
3: which is funny i just think
1: fall off what's that right were you gonna say oh i I was
3: yeah no i was just gonna say because i think i think what why obviously every single one of us that had been involved in the independent scene like watching these things anytime you watch a band even if obviously you've got no emotional connection or you fucking hate their music, uh, but they come from an independent background. As you watch them ascend, it's just like, it it becomes surreal. And like, obviously once they become popular, they become, you know, sort of outside of the sphere of what you you pay attention to. Like, A band Like My Chemical Romance is a perfect example where it's just like, I mean, this, you know, it's like, anytime, like, my dad, downloads a song by a band that obviously has like an independent context, I'm like, are you like this doesn't even make sense? <laughs> it's like right. and at the, at the time it's like obviously all of those bands were being exposed to people that would literally have no context for what a scene meant. <laughs> and then right. we're sitting here going like, What? How does this make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean I, I think, you
2: know, for a while too, it was like you would see um some of the bands that were really like, you know, exploding in the mainstream. Like there was no denial that they kind of came from, if not the same world that I came from, some sort of iteration of it. So I felt like, you know, seeing Mike, Mike Kim and Fall um, Out Boy, and certainly like Thursday and Taking Back Sunday. When I saw all those bands get big, I was like, oh yeah, this is the same thing I saw happening. You know, this, this is exactly that. Um, I think after their success, it was a little harder for me because it was like, yes, they were coming from a scene that was only like this mainstream punk scene, you know? So it was like, and this is no flag on them. I think they've actually written some really great pop songs, but like, a you know, like Paramore, it wasn't like, you know, they were, they, they kind of like slugged it out necessarily or, or, you know, even saw the world that some of the bands that came before them came from, you know, it was, it was more, the path was more defined a little bit.
1: Um. Yeah. You know, I was thinking too, Is the, you know, from the sort of the, the interviews that you were doing in the sort of writing era, was there any favorite yeah. from the emo world that sort of, you know, stuck out to you that, I mean, I want to bring up the Ian um, McKay uh, McKay okay. interview, which I think is hilarious. Um yeah, yeah, yeah. But is there any others that kind of stuck out with you that you feel sort of you read now and you're like, holy shit, that really exemplifies that time and that, that, that era and...
2: All of them. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, not like like I nailed it, but I don't mean it like that. Like, But, like, I can't read those. Uh, I, well, for one, I don't. You know, I, I mean, it's not like I go back and read that stuff that much. Um, but uh, when I do, there's no way I can't think of that particular time in my life. You know, like that 2003 to 2000... Um, 2003 2007 era where I was living in New York and, um, or preparing to move there. Um, and I was watching all these bands get super huge and, uh, like I just, you know, said a few minutes ago, like, where every expectation kept, like, getting surpassed. Um, I, I can't help but look at that stuff and think, like, God, that was so crazy that happened, you know? And, like, part of me thinks, like, you know, I don't know if that'll happen again. But in way, and that's not, a good or bad thing, but like I don't know if you'll have a thing where mainstream will embrace a, a scene sort of like that or or a genre, a, a seemingly new genre, um, and
1: seemingly everything it does explodes. You know? I think um, I think that's the last scene because I just just me throwing because I didn't have a cell phone until it was 2000, and I feel like mm-hmm. it was bubbling like. 97, 98, you know, you got Clarity, you have something right home about, you've got all those things kind of popping, and then it, it came yeah. out, and internet, and being able to share, and Napster, right. and it's just like that, it was still, you still had to go to the show, you still had to, you know, borrow your friend's mixtape, you had to listen to the right. radio. Um, yeah. And now it's like... Yeah. And, and a... like, and I don't know, like, I mean,
2: I think to some degree, like, you know, indie rock or whatever, you know, has kind of fulfilled that a little bit in the, like, the the late thoughts, I guess, um, into now. You know, like, it's certainly a band like Phoenix putting out a record like like Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix, where it was, you know, they were probably playing Soury Ballroom-sized venues at the start of the tour, and they exited that at Madison Square Garden with with that punk coming out, like, certainly that's probably as important as Sugar We're Going Down and Stadium, you know, like, that, that, I kind of think is, is, is close, you know, Um, but, again, it's, it's, I mean, it's close, but, you know, I I didn't touch it as much, Um, but I don't think, I don't know if I will be part of like a scene so to speak
1: yeah and then I wanted to you know I, I think I want to get into this um just because i'm, I'm I was fascinated by it but the book um, you've talked yeah. about it a bunch you've done interviews I just I have a couple funny yeah. things that I want to mention about it um you it, there's there I did some research um, you you still have a myspace page for it um, you guys have an uh, old, that's probably true. You have an old school badge on there. I don't know what the badges are, but there's it, an old school badge saying you were there at the beginning of myspace. 8500 fans huh. still commenting. There's still people commenting. Um, yeah. And then I also did a used <laughs> Amazon sale. Um, I wanted to see yeah. your book versus Nothing Feels Good and versus oh. Leslie's Wish You Were Here. So if, oh, no. <laughs> if you'd like, if you'd like, I'd like to give the used price. Now I did an average, but I'd like to give you the used price. Um, Wish You Were Here, two dollars and four cents. Nothing Feels That's Good. That's average used price. Average used price is two dollars and four cents. Nothing Feels uh-huh. Good book, uh, two dollars and eighty four cents. Uh-huh. Ready for yours?
2: Uh yeah. Ninety nine. Three oh four.
1: <laughs> Three oh four. So we win by twenty. That's 10. what I'm saying. You guys won. This is you you guys have come out on top. That's my way of figuring uh, out <laughs> We would have won if we got a movie deal. Yes.
3: <laughs> that's definitely that's definitely the definitive uh you win statement. Hey, you're not in the ninety nine cent bid yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm there, But
2: yeah. Yeah,
1: that's interesting. <laughs> so, I don't know, I thought um, it was hilarious, because I was like, holy shit, there's all right. the old books that came out, and I'm sure there's all these people that bought it, They thought it was just going to have stuff about Dashboard Confessional in it, and there's other right. things about bands they don't know about, and they threw it away, or their parents bought it for them. Um, you know, what was, I just, I'd love to get into your head of like, hey Leslie, you want to do a book? All right, let's do it about this. And I mean, how did how did that happen? Is that the question? Yeah, I mean, or even just, you know, you've got, um, you know, Greenwald doing the forward. I mean, you've got everyone involved, and it was it was sort of that time it came out. It was it was it was it was a pretty big deal. Yeah, yeah, it was.
2: It was a really exciting time. Um, Yeah, you know, I I remember Leslie. You know, Leslie had an idea to to do sort of a manual. Uh, about about emo um, and she I remember when she asked me if I'd write it with her uh, we were at Miss Shapes in, in New York speaking of that time and things that have, have gone by the wayside I guess uh, we're, we're at Miss Shapes um, and yeah she I just remember sitting in the bottom of the stairs and she told me like I have this idea I want to do this thing with you and I said Sure, I mean, that was kind of my reaction to anything back then, you know, like, I was sort of game for anything, and that, like, from large-scale projects like that to, like, weird hangouts, so I was kind of like, yeah, okay, sure, whatever, and, you know, then she kind of told me what it was, and we spent the next two months sort of trading emails and ideas and sort of started putting together, you know, a proposal for it that, the, the shape of it evolved a little bit in that that process, and then, you know, we we put it out. We we got we had an agent who then went to many publishers, uh, and to our surprise, many publishers were interested, and that was kind of it. It was I remember I remember, gosh, I remember being home home being here um, from New York uh, for Christmas going into 2005, I remember saying to my family, like, I think this might happen, and I'm being like, that seems crazy, but sure, <laughs> like, whatever, you know, like, well, they're totally easy to publish, you go for it, and so uh, I remember being pleasantly surprised when I came back, and, you know, I was having options, and us talking about it, and it was, you know, it was really a, a quick experience, but really exciting, um, and very, you know, I look back on it very fondly. And um, yeah, I just remember coming out and sort of like weird things happening, you know, very quickly. And like us like being on TV or like us doing morning radio, you know, like weird things like that, that um, again, you know, I thought we'd put it out. We'd have a a party at um, a bar in the Lower East Side
3: and that would kind of be it. And then,
2: you know, it continued and continued and sort of like, because of it, I ended up, um, you know, changing jobs, really, because I enjoyed marketing it so, it so much. But, um, yeah, it, it was a really exciting time and really a cool a cool thing. And, um, I, you know, Leslie just put out a new book uh, a couple weeks ago, and I went to her, her sort of event for it here in Los Angeles uh, last week. And it was cool because I'm standing there and, I was kind of standing by the side of the the table where she was signing, and uh, it was neat to see, like, you know, uh, what appeared to be, like, a 19-year-old girl in a Save the Day t-shirt, you know, Um, getting this book that's completely about something different um, signed, you know, and I'm just looking at her and being like, that girl's wearing a Save the Day t-shirt. Like, that's awesome. Like, you know, that's great that, like, this person probably still knows Leslie from that and they're interested in what she's still doing and that, that there's still some sort of lineage there. So yeah, I mean, it was, it was awesome. It was a really cool thing. Please,
3: please, please, please tell me that you, uh, you get like 15 cent royalty checks every so often.
2: Uh, no, <laughs> I don't get 15 cent royalty checks. Um, I, Yeah. It was, it was a popular book, but um, I don't think, like, you know, I, I don't see 15% royalty
0: checks.
3: I, yeah, so, I mean, for, from what I understand, book deals aren't like record deals where they okay. give you a sizable advance, that they know, that you'll never them, And they go, all right, enjoy.
2: Well, I think they do. I just think that it's like um, the costs are different, you know. So it's like, you know, you do get an advance, but what is the cost? You know, it's like, okay, you're advanced the X amount. You you have to live for six months and you already have a laptop, so you know,
0: like
2: I guess you don't have to go to a cabin in in, you know, Woodstock to write this record, you know, and whatever, have like a guru on site to make sure that your head's in the right space, you know. It's it is like totally like different circumstances. And that that's also uh, totally speculative on how <laughs> it's forgiven to me. <laughs> <laughs> have,
3: have, you ever, have you ever wanted to uh, write another book based on this experience? I mean not like, obviously same subject matter but uh, something completely different uh,
2: I, No I don't think I'd write another book um, you know, I, I, it's, it's weird I, I, It was so much work um, and it was really rewarding in that time and there was something about me being you know thinking God, that was a really great experience I don't know if I'd want to continue to do that over and over again, and it becoming routine. Uh, so I, I don't think I would. Um, I'm pretty happy with not being uh, an author or uh, a
1: writer anymore. Cool. Did you? I mean, what was your th- thoughts on the Nothing Feels Good book? Um, and I liked it. Yeah.
2: People, I know people have like a you know a sort of. Dicey relationship with it sometimes But, like, I've always been a fan of Andy's writing like, I always thought he was a, he was a great writer um, and, I, and I think he was honest about it That was the thing that kind of always bummed me out When people get, kind of got down about him Because I think their, their thing about it Was that he was sort of like a tourist, you know Like, it was this guy Who really loved, like, the go-betweens or whatever um, Like, who kind of, you know Observed the emo uh, the, the initial emo boom Mainstream boom
0: Um, and then wrote a book
2: about it and sort of got, you know, a a good amount of, you know, notoriety or just attention from it. But I thought that's how he wrote it, you know? Like, I don't think he's, you know, proclaimed to be an expert, you know, um, or someone who's lived it. So I thought it was, the book was really honest. I thought it was, you know, well-written I think that, like, to this day, there's probably nothing more definitively, there's no better definitive, um, Version of the Chris story than the one that exists in that book. I thought that the, that portion of it was really strong, so I, I was a fan of it. Um, and I, you know, I bought. I, I continued to try to seek out his writing when I can. But I think he's, from what I recall, he's like, doing sort of like screenwriting or something like that. We, we had spoken like maybe a year, two years ago or something like that. And I, he like that's what he's doing, but I don't want to misrepresent
1: what he's actually doing. But that was my recollection. Yeah, I think too. Uh, do you feel like that there will be, and this because you're a writer, and I actually have always wanted to ask you this, even outside of this podcast, was you know, Michael Azarad did our our Could Be Your Life, which was yeah. a great book. Do you feel because of the sort of impact that that the, the emo scene did, do you feel that you know, ten years from now, there's someone's gonna have a book that is sort of from that it is even more entrenched right. or that, more like, I, I, I don't know,
2: know. Well, like insert insert blast jobs that are the replacements and yeah. like or whatever like some sort of right Texas um, is Texas I don't know. the reason I, I'd buy know? it if yeah. they did <laughs> like it would interest me um, and I certainly think that those bands you know in a weird way were just as influential in sort of casting the mold for certainly some things that bands did sonically, but, like, also, like, how bands, you know, the career paths they took, you know? And that's kind of like Our Band Could Be Your Life, was sort of, like, you know, very much about the integrity of doing things independently and how those bands lived and how they came up. And I think, you know, if, if I'm kind of a good example. Um, you know, if I was a data remember, I probably would have studied very closely to how Taken Back Sunday or Thursday navigated those early parts of their careers. Um, I don't think it's that different. Um, so it would be interesting to me if that occurred. Uh, I certainly think there's enough people who will at some point not just, you know, someone asked me this, the... It's been a while since I've been about emo princess, and stuff, but I remember when I was uh, being interviewed for the AP oral histories, uh, the ones about AP, um, and the guy writing it uh, asked me if people, he thought the, the, the era that, like, Leslie and Jonah and myself and a couple other people kind of were, were really integral with, like, if we thought that people would look back on some of those records as, like, classic records. And, I, I, like, if you're asking me if Deja Antonu is we looked at, like, Blonde on Blonde or whatever, you know, like, like, Sergeant Patrick's like, no, it's probably not going to happen. But, like, do I think that, that A, that's not fair, you know? Like, I feel like a lot of people might flag it off because it was just this sort of moment in time, that, you know, they might take Dejan Tendu, and Tandu and put it in the same, like, regard as w- whatever the Spin Doctors record was. Or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, you might just be like, oh, that was this moment when these bands are all breaking at the same time. And I remember that one song, and, and that's their only record for it. But to me, as um, I was saying this to him, I think it's really unfair, because I think that musically, there were just really incredible records that perhaps were, were sort of slided off because they happened in that period where emo broke in the mainstream and people might just, you know, kind of take a cursory glance at it later, you know, 10 years from now and not be like, hmm, maybe I should check out, you know, whatever, Wall All The Time or you know, the these handfuls of our, you know, Black Parade, which I was a really great record or, you know, th- there's a ton of them that I thought, gosh, this is really good and I would be interested in hearing this in, you know, years from now. So I hope people do. Um, I don't know if they will. That's the thing is it's like, you know, like the replacements wrote, you know, records, like Let It Be, mm-hmm. that people will always continue to buy. And I don't know if Tell All Your Friends is that record. To me it is. You know, I, I think there's great songs on it, and I think it's, it's continued beautifully worth revisiting, so...
1: Um, I mean, people. It'll can be s- s- interesting. Mean, I don't
2: know how it'll be. It's so close, though. I mean, people are certainly t- clearly nostalgic for it, based on some of the stuff that's going on. Um, I'm sort of seeing those bands that you know broke
1: then. Well, I think kind of uh, I mean uh, uh, the. Sorry, uh, go ahead. No, no, no. Sorry, it was uh, the Skype. was killing me. Um, the uh, <laughs> uh, the you know the Refused record. Um, the right. shape of punk to come. I mean, that's when you have, you know, you read guitar world and all the guitar players for the new metal bands, put that down as their favorite record. Sure. It's obviously gotten to a different place than maybe another record that came out <laughs> around the same time.
2: Right. Right. And maybe people wouldn't have thought that, you know, five years ago or something like that.
0: Like
2: wouldn't have thought, Oh yeah, that's a, that's a classic record. Like, you yeah. Know? Uh, so it's it really hard to, to predict or tell and, um, I don't know. I, I hope so. I really think that, like, in that time, there's some really great music coming out of that world. So I hope as years go by, people kind of look back on it and say things like, you know, Hammond Down's a pretty good pop song. Like, like I, I give it to that guy. That yeah, was a great yeah. pop song. So that's, yeah. It'll be interesting.
1: Yeah. I guess, you know, a couple other things uh, before I let you go is... You know, um, when you were working um, at um, MySpace, I mean, I still consider that sometimes some of the, you know, the last sort of emo era. Um, was, it, mm-hmm. was it interesting then, too? Any interesting anecdotes or things that you sort of felt from that time frame? Um, that Yeah,
2: I mean, a lot of interesting things certainly happened in my time there. Um, but, you know, the thing that I would say a lot um, to people... There, um, and that you know, probably even come even up until my last day. As like I said, we changed music in the no matter what people say about it. You know, now or it will. They'll continue to say in years and years from now. You yeah. know, uh, it did. I, did, you know, it socialized music. It um, kind of removed the barrier between the artists and the audience in a way that was just so substantial, I feel like. And it led in, and it really, like, it's, it was kind of the first run of Discovery that is, you know, so integral to something like a Pandora, a Spotify, or, you know, whatever, go down the list. Um, discovery was such a huge thing there. And, and it really opened up the way that you could consume, find, and fall in love with music. Um,
1: I mean, what did you do? You, you typed myspace.com slash the band. Yeah. And that's... Yeah, It was totally. like, it was in your head to do that. And, and, you and checked,
2: I, then you checked their top eight. And, yep. Oh, who's like who's that band? And then you checked out that band, and then you sent them, you know, a, a message maybe, and said, like, I book shows here, or like, I really love that song, What's It About?, and wrote you back. And that, that stuff all exists still. It just exists in different ways. And so... Kind of it's, just di- it's just a
3: different. It's just a different vehicle of communication. Like this, was obviously, glass yeah. was just. A, it was a tool, and people utilized yes. it for as much as they could until there was something else that came right. along it, that was easier.
2: Right, and that's the thing. It's like all the fundamentals of it. It just fragmented, and it, in, in the ways that it fragmented, you know, those places that sort of just focused on those one things did better, and and that's like no one would deny that, and so. It just became the way that we consume music now. And we do it across, you know, twenty platforms or something. So it's it's it you know, but to see it all happening as it did, it was really exciting. And it was you know, it was I I enjoyed my time there a lot. So and I gotta do a lot of cool things. I gotta go to Hawaii with Tom.
1: hold on. <laughs> Dude, I was about to say, Ray, I don't know if you know about this, but I pulled off the biggest coup at a label I think ever. <laughs> Did you hear about this right I don't think so I there was a I worked Willie Nelson record and um tr- uh, Trevor's co-worker Isaac um, got band of horses to play a Willie Nelson show in Maui and we got to go out there for a myspace secret show and I got to go for like a week and it was I just felt like
2: I, I just for the record did not go for a week
1: Oh, I did. I totally went for a week. <laughs> yeah. I left, um, and I ended up getting upgraded to first class the whole way. Um, yeah. It was none of, of these tr- things happened. <laughs> but I did go. I did go there, but like I see yeah, none of those things happened. Did sometimes. you? Did but you? Didn't you come to his house? Did
2: you? I did go to his house, and that's you know one of those things where, like I said, you know, like the, that time was just so cr- crazy. You know, there's so many crazy experiences that I can recall from it that were just incredible, like going to Willie Nelson's house, you know, Um,
0: meeting Robert
2: Smith and, you know, everyone else in the Cure and their children, you know, like just so many different things that happened while I was there that were so incredibly exciting um, and new and crazy and not expected. So, you know, I think anyone who worked there would say it was a really exciting place when they worked there.
1: And I think think it's a really good bookend because the MySpace – feel and that era and those bands and they were just using it so heavily and yeah. you you felt connected it's just as you know Twitter felt connected when it first started like Myspace I feel like for a really long part of it felt you were connected to the band if you were friends with them um, yeah. on that and you could message them and they would write you back and it, it, the, I think that was I don't know it's just, it's, it's, but, it just it felt like you were connected still. Right.
2: One, one of the things that I always thought was great was like, you know, I, the band looked at the platform that way, you know? I recall very vividly trading emails with the singer from Sweet Foxes, you know, like trying to get his profile all straight. It's just funny because he was the same guy who was like, can't on mercy kill my space or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, like there was a time where he was like super invested in it. And, you know, like, it didn't seem weird that it was like, I'll just email this guy in my face and we'll just get it done. And like the barriers around music, when that platform, you know, became so ubiquitous, just started, started deteriorating. Um, And that, that's an exciting, it was an exciting idea and clearly continues to be an exciting idea in other parts of the the space.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was fun. Well, I think, um, But definitely, you know, spoke for a little bit. I got some fast questions to ask. um, Okay. And uh, then we'll be done. And um, oh yeah, last thing: where is the Jawbreaker T-shirts? What's going on? What happened? So
2: this is an interesting story. (laughs) I blame all of you for this. I mean, all of you. Quick, quick, quick! Note: Trevor
1: made some Fugazi shirts. All these bands wear them. Trevor posts them on his Facebook page. (laughs) People get people get stoked. I get stoked. Um, yeah. uh, people still look at me funny when I wear it and then I have to explain. But there's supposed to be a Jawbreaker one, and right. it's not and so, in my like inbox it, yet.
2: Right. So the Fugazi shirt was the, the band, all four of their names, like those sort of hip hop shirts or those uh, like Beatles shirts that say like John and Paul and Ringo, whatever. And so I made some for Fugazi that were just and and so forth. And people like those, as Tom said. So then I thought, what a great idea would it be to do the four
1: Jawbreaker albums as a shirt like that. It's a fantastic idea. Right.
2: So it's a great idea, right? So I mocked this up. I put it up on Facebook and Twitter and said, again, do you guys want them? (laughs) By the way, I mean, I'm sure the usership or, or your whatever, your your podcast, base is, is huge, and so I'll clear my name through this. Um, I give away these Fugazi shirts. I've never made any money on it. In fact, I've lost a lot of money making these. <laughs> um, so please, anyone who wants to, like, tell Discord that I make them, please let them know that I lose money on them and give them to people. Um, so the thought that I was do the same thing with the JobMaker shirt, and... Um, Like I said, the mock-up, all these people, I'll take one, I'll take one, I'll take one. So I ordered 34 of them, I think, uh, because the response was so great. They come to to my office at work. I open them up. I'm like, yes, great. And I think I went straight from work that night to a show, and the person I was going to the show with um, had, you know, put their hand up and said, "I, I would like one of these shirts. So I deliver it to him, who I also blame for this because um, he used to be an English teacher. He picks up the shirt and goes, is that how you spell Biblack? Oh,
0: no. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> One of the most literary pop bands possibly of all time. You cannot put those shirts out with a typo on it. No. So, they're just be kind of slowly but sure. me to polish my furniture
1: with. You know what? Those can be used like they have, you know, when the, the NBA championship and the other team that loses, but they still make the shirts and they send them somewhere. <laughs> yeah. You should do that. Yeah. I know how serious you are about T-shirts because I shouldn't have thrown out half the T-shirts I did because you would have bought them off me. That's true. It's Ray, true. I, you... you need to talk to Ray after this because, Ray, I think uh-huh. Trevor might buy some of your T-shirts. Oh, yeah, you know I have them.
2: It's weird, too, because I don't wear T-shirts, really. <laughs>
1: like, but you buy them. I, I do.
3: You don't need to explain yourself because there's a comfort in owning T-shirts. Like There's a comfort in, for me, owning an extra-large chokehold T-shirt that I'll never wear. Yeah.
0: yeah. I, well, th-
2: so I, I don't wear T-shirts in my day-to-day life that much anymore, um, but I, I will wear them when I go do yoga. And it's like I feeling the music, the guy at yoga wearing a Inside Out No Spiritual Surrender T-shirt, <laughs> <laughs> thinking like maybe someone will know, <laughs> like maybe someone's gonna be like, dude, brain fight, that's not one of the best hardcore songs ever. <laughs> but that doesn't happen.
1: <laughs> are most of them extra large? Because when I saw Chol Cold, it was just extra large. I couldn't get anything smaller. Oh, all, you... my,
3: all my shirts are. are
1: dude, heavy. you can't
3: me me anything smaller than a large like did not exist period yeah
0: i have like That's i have like f- yeah.
3: i have like four outspoken shirts that i would wear every day if they were a reasonable size and didn't look like a dress on me right
2: yeah and especially when you buy them from ebay they have like you know crazy. they got
3: show they have show neck on them it's...
2: yeah show neck they, that was like this is like a really funny like this is one of the, I'll try to, like, keep this short. But This is such a rad thing. You were asking about um, when I first started going to shows, And when I would go to the hardcore shows that would happen in you know, either Huntington Beach or, like, in, like, the Canoe Valley or, there was some that actually happened in Kineo Valley. Um, there was, like, this, like, game where if they didn't like you and you, like, went to, like, crowd surf or stage time, um, if you crowd surfed, I suppose you probably will this because crowd surfing at that point was like reserved for primus shows. But like, like if you did that and they didn't like you, they'd just grab onto your neck and just like fuck your shirt up, basically. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, they were like the stretch neck poppy. Like, I don't know if they were called that or like, we were into shirt boys or I don't remember what their like title was, but they would do that. I remember being like, I was really young. Like, I mean, you Tom knows that I look pretty young as it is. So you can only imagine me at, like, 13. Like, I look like I was 8. Like, and I had, like, you know, this little, sk- you know, 90s, like, huge, shirt, huge pants. Like, I was so young. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go up and stage dive. Like, what was, I don't know why I thought, like, yes, these guys who are, like, 19 are totally going to be, like, that's awesome. That 8-year-old just did a stage dive. <laughs> that's <laughs> like, awesome. Like, yeah, so I was just like end up with these, like, Gorilla Biscuits long sleeves that, like, I couldn't, like, they'd be so stretched out I couldn't wear them, you know, like, they'd like, fall off me, basically.
1: Oh, I um, love that. The first shirt I ever yeah. bought was a, um, no one knows this band, Sam Black Church. Um, it was 2XL long sleeve. <laughs> awesome. The hell was I thinking?
2: Like, yeah, like, why? <laughs> Who were they thinking making
1: that? Like, yeah. Oh,
2: it's sad. Even,
1: yeah. Um... Yeah, I'm so glad so we quick, brought the t shirt Quick question. Yeah.
2: That was, that was it? Just the T-shirts? That's sort what's of happening. I don't know. So, you know, I, I saw Dubin like, whatever, two months ago, and he asked me the same thing, and I had to show him the, the picture, and I was like, you said you wanted one, and you didn't even notice this. <laughs> like, all you guys were so quick to be like, I want one. Not, no, Not one person.
1: My favorite um, so, thing. Yeah. My favorite thing to do at Equal Vision um, was to get back anything from the plant, the poster, and come in and go, "Hey, does anyone know how to spell November? Um, does it yeah, does it come with two V's?" And they'd be like, "What?" And then I just laugh. And but that was my lame oh, joke. Oh. <laughs> right? Okay,
2: that's good. Yeah, yeah, I thought you meant like you were you were the guy who were like. Hey, you guys printed these. <laughs> like, and they're wrong. like, And they really were. whatever. No, no, nice. I would I just fuck with them every time. <laughs>
1: yeah, I got it. Funny. Um, well, really quick, um, we could obviously talk for another 25 hours, but um, um, I do remember our pl- when you were on a plane and you were flying back and you were IMing me and it was like, I don't know, four hours went by or something. <laughs> you, were like, uh-huh. you were like, oh, I'm landing. I'll talk to you later or whatever.
2: That's, that's uh, that seems like something I definitely did.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, um, but about right. but real quick, just some fast stuff. Um, don't have to think about it too long. Um, favorite emo band from that genre of all time. Yes, Jawbreaker. Favorite record.
2: Just record period. Let's oh,
1: oh, oh. let's keep it with the theme, I guess.
2: Oh, emo record. I mean, it's got to be telling. maybe hear you. Yeah, maybe tell all your friends. Right. Hear you and tell all your friends. All right, that's that's good one, enough. One of the two of those. Yeah.
1: Um. Uh.
2: What... Or even I will throw in the devil and God is raging inside of me. Wow. Okay. I think that's
1: an excellent oh, record. That's a great record. Um, I'd say it's up there. Um, who would be? Um, what was a band? This is something that like maybe annoyed you. What was a band that was called emo that wasn't that you would just want to be like? telling everyone like no this isn't Mm -hmm.
2: gosh that's hard i mean yeah that's hard because i want i want to think there's like a super mainstream version mostly rappers like slug from atmosphere yeah i didn't get what was emo about him
1: that's a good answer
2: yeah like i I like him with time, but I
1: was like I mean, there's nothing remotely emo about this guy. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, favorite new band that you feel is influenced by older emo.
2: Defeater.
1: Defeater, nice.
2: Good Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and for everyone on the podcast, I'm going to be putting links and stuff up. On watchupemo.com <laughs> so you can find out all these bands because we've made all these obscure references. The only Trevor and I know, and you need to be in the know. Right,
0: right, <laughs>
1: um, yeah. Band you wish you saw but didn't? I wish I saw but didn't. Um, same thing. Emo only. Like,
2: we're, we, we're can, like we, the, we can. We
1: uh, can. So replacement
2: Nirvana or like whatever. No,
1: like I, about mine is Nirvana. I never got to see them. I was yeah. I, was way too I never old. got to see them. I, I never.
2: Yeah, I never got to see the original Smashing Pumpkins lineup. Um, that was kind of a bummer for me. I'm a, I'm a really big Smashing Pumpkins fan. Um, but, emo band, I wonder. Who? I mean, I never saw OG Smokey Real Estate. So that would have been great. Um, who else, I wonder, that I never get to see? Anyway, that was, that was, that's, 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 that's a good not one answer and First, this... there's a lot of hardcore bands too like I never saw it for a gorilla
1: Biscuits. I would have liked to see that oh
2: that would have been fun not even reunion reunion gorilla
1: biscuits so no definitely not um band you yeah. saw but wish you didn't <laughs> god
0: uh, <laughs> <laughs> the years
2: 2002 and 2007 Idiot opening band until they got good probably I don't know I mean that's it's, I don't know there's I saw a lot of stuff that I, you know, I don't know, though, like, you know, they all have their merits, It just was for other people, some of it, you know, like, there wasn't anything where I just was like, I mean, I'm sure there was in the moment where I couldn't believe it, but yeah. there's nothing that sticks out to me, like, where I'm just like, that's it, I need that half hour back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Mine was definitely broken side, I definitely needed my half hour back. Yeah,
2: well, yeah, I've never seen broken side, but... Dude, I would. Like, I mean, it, seems like it could be entertaining. I
1: don't yeah. know. <laughs> That's awesome. And last yeah. one, um, do you feel, like we kind of touched this on with the, our, our, our band could be our life, but do you feel that mm-hmm. these bands will be talked about in 10 years?
2: Well, I mean, I just talked about still life, right? True. A, a few times. Um, and that band impacted, I, you know, I, I can't think that it's more than Ten thousand people, you know, mm-hmm. in in the course of the past twenty years, still gets brought up. Um, yeah, I think so, and, uh, and I certainly like like I just was saying before. I hope so, you know. Um, I hope that you know that you know full class of somebody's diary or their you know, can or let it be or whatever. You know?
1: yeah, because the, those so. kids, it's it, like you said. You saw that younger kid at that show. They're, they're there, they're trying to experience that moment, and you know, you saying that girl going up to Leslie, like, that is awesome to me. I would like, yeah. I would help that girl out. I'd be like, do you want some records? Are you, you <laughs> yes. know, m- not in like a weird way, but like, totally cool. Um, And and just help and sort of be like, wow, if you've obviously looked back and you see yeah. the history.
0: Yeah, don't
2: think it will, I, and I think so. I mean, you know, I think that like every if the music was quality, it all has to stay. You know, like, I went and saw rice last night. It was such a fantastic show, you know, and, and I, I think that a lot of, for a lot of people, you know, like, that band might have ended after the artist in the ambulance. Mm-hmm. And I think they played maybe two songs that predated 2005, maybe. Wow. Um, or 2006. Yeah, and, you know, like, it was great. and And I was just like, it's the music is great. It's people will still come, you know, like to me, I was like, this is what I, this is about the size venue. I saw them on when the artists in the ambulance came out and here they are, you know, something like six albums later or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I, I do think that maybe some things won't, you know, endure the way others do. But, um, I, you know, I certainly think it all, it all has merit. Cool. People will continue to, to unearth it. So,
1: yeah, well Trev I thank you I know we could we could spot hopefully I can have you back and we can discuss some more sure. stuff but um, it was awesome to have you and uh, like I said as a, as yeah, a friend yeah. as, and being able to help uh, you know washed up emo. I think I always love kind of hearing what you say about this because you wrote a book about it that solidifies right. your expertise <laughs> and, and as far
0: as
2: emo goes I'm washed up <laughs> it's true